Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. But we're changing things up slightly this time around because we're reaching the end of our first season. So to end season one of the Beatles Films podcast on a bang, we wanted to cover an actual proper bona fide Beatles film. And that film is Help! Exclamation mark. The Beatles' second studio movie, released to tie in with their fifth studio album, and marking the first time a pop group appeared in a story about a religious cult performing a sacrificial murder. What we thought we'd do to give this film a full attention it deserves is split this episode out into halves. So for the first part, we've got a broad view that will cover mostly the actual music in the film. So the songs, the tunes, the score. And then in part two next week, we'll focus on the story. Uh, that's right. We've decided to split this Beatles films episode into Beatles and film. We're not entirely convinced by the approach, but you know, let's see how we get on. So um, <laughs> just talking about the music then in the film help. It seems to me that where we have very uh, separate song segments in the film, you have to wonder whether or not this is the first time uh, we, we we ever see or have ever seen uh, anything close to what eventually becomes a music video. What do you think? Uh, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Um, it's it, It's really difficult to know. There's, you hear different people say different things about what was the first music video. Um, so Paperback Writer and Rain uh, that they shot down at uh, Chiswick House seems to be 
something that people bring up a lot. And a lot of people say it's Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I, I don't know what distinction people are making between those two things because there's quite a few years between them. Uh, is it is it it's down to purpose though, right? So so we know that Paperback Writer and Rain, uh those videos were filmed to uh substitute an actual appearance by the Beatles on the show. What show was it for? Top, Do you remember? Top of the Pops. It was I guess. Top of the Pops, right? Yeah. I thought it was Top of the Pops. Okay, fine. So we know that they you know they, they shot those music videos specifically to be used because the Beatles weren't able to appear on their show. Yeah. When it comes to Bohemian Rhapsody, the purpose of that maybe was just to have a tie-in video to go alongside the song. So there's a different sort of, you know, it's, it's, it has an entertainment value rather yep. than just, uh, rather than a functional value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 is probably the distinction people are making. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I am speculating entirely, but well, I assume that that's, you know, that seems to make sense to me. But then what but I think the interesting thing then is what we see in Help, seems to be a bit of a precursor to what we get with Paperback Writer and Rain, in that the the song segments themselves don't fit in with the rest of the narrative of the movie. Uh, normally they are, the story stops in order to allow for a song segment to occur. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is different into, uh, compared to how you know songs like these have been used in other musical films before now. Yeah, so... In help, there are some songs that it makes narrative sense for them to perform. Others that it, uh, others that it makes less narrative sense, and others where they aren't actually performing, they're kind of clowning around with the song as a yes, background. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, so you're going to lose that girl, and the night before, and I need you are all the the Beatles, the um, the characters, the Beatles in the film are recording those songs in a in a studio two yes. of them are a studio that is outdoors on Salisbury Plain but even so <laughs> yeah. there, there is a narrative reason for them to be recording those songs and there are others where so a ticket to ride for example that that is the sort of purest sort of music video uh, mm. approach to the song to any of the songs really where you're hearing the song and you're seeing footage of them skiing there is a tiny bit where there is a piano on this mountain and they're just sort of mucking about on it and John is kind of singing along into the camera. Yeah. That's the only bit. But at that point, it's not being pretended that this band is actually standing there performing these songs. No, yeah, sure. Know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think maybe it would be worth us talking about sort of music generally and maybe we should go through each of these songs in turn because I think there's there's quite a bit to say yeah. about each of them. Sure. Um, so we can do them in, in sort of chronological order. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did want to say though was I think it's it's quite clever uh, and quite forward thinking. I think that the film makes sure that each of the song segments has a very distinct look and feel, yeah. separate from each other. Yeah. Like they feel like they can be taken out of context and work. And 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 actually, because of how iconic the Beatles were at this time, and because therefore how iconic this film is. The actual video performances in the film sort of have taken on a bit of a life of their own outside of the context of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like um, you got to hide your love away, for example, in particular. I feel like I've seen that more times than I've seen the film. That mm. feels like it exists on its own as a, yeah. as a you know, uh, de facto music video for the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, quite quite intuitive in some ways that the, the actual 
footage that's used for each of those songs just feels very uh, distinctly different from each other, but also has a has a I guess what has become quite an iconic look um, for each of them. Yeah, and I think um, there's a sort of visual association I have. So you've got to hide your love away is sort of best example of that. Um, and perhaps it's because it's one of those songs that there isn't any narrative reason for them to perform in the film. Mm. Um, when I think of that song, that's the mental image I have. I think of John singing it, uh, sitting in that chair and playing that guitar. And yeah, I think I think maybe the fact that um, they are... I, I mean, we, we should kind of set it in context that what is happening with You've Got to Hide Your Love Away is they're they're on the run from various people who are trying to trying to find and kill them and the the best place they've found to hide is their house um <laughs> where is, no one would find them <laughs> exactly it's the last place they think to look uh and they go back there with uh, army played by uh elna bron and while there they uh, perform you've got to hide your love away so there are bits in it where you kind of think that there is a bit of narrative being extended here there's a bit where Paul is kind of winking at Arme, George is sort of uh, is sort of pl- playing his guitar, sort of increasing closer like to her. At her. At, yes, he's playing his <laughs> it's, guitar. It's quite like at her. You're yeah, right. It's, it's very yeah. aggressive. Yeah, like uh, aggressive move on his part. Yeah, sit on the same sofa. Yeah, and, and you're kind of seeing, especially because of George's facial expressions, which is sort of done really well in in close up, and there there is quite a lot of good close up acting by the Beatles in this film in general. Mm that he is sort of looking at her and looking at Paul and getting a bit annoyed and jealous. Um, that storyline is not ever extended or thought of again. No, no. And actually, even what you think is going to happen, i.e. I that Paul and Arme are going to get together, uh, that never happens either. You know? No, no, yeah, it's, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, it's um, So it does, you know, it, it's sort of extending a narrative thread, but then just kind of snapping it at the end, really, and not doing the, anything I with mean, it. Why don't we, you know, what, what, you know let, let's say there's Park... You've got to hide your love away until we get to that because I feel like there's a there's a potentially a reason to go through it in chronological order because I feel like there's a without going into the narrative of the actual film there's sort of a narrative flow that the songs give just on their own yeah um, but one of the things I did want to touch on as well uh, talking about sort of the the different or distinct look and feel that each song has is it's actually quite interesting to me that tickets are right that whole skiing segment has become the the overall sort of iconography of the help album and film yeah you know like them in the snow that's that that's sort of the the poster of this sort of you know creative venture yeah but but it's not really necessarily as more or less important than any other songs in the film. It's not given necessarily due prominence more than anything else, and it's not even the song. In, in, I guess in, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the skiing montage is the point at which they play help. Uh, yeah, that, that would make sense. I suppose maybe it's the. Um, I think the film was kind of put together uh, before the before the album artwork, because obviously that's the, the, the album artwork is them in there. They're not in the snow, but they are against a white background, yeah. wearing their skiing gear, which of course inc- includes a top hat for George. I mean, who who doesn't take a top hat when they go skiing? You know, um, and doing the semaphore, which yes. which originally was going to spell out H E L P. They did that, and it looked a bit crap, so they uh, just changed it. They're doing I forget what it I forget it's, what it spells. I, I think it's N U F T. I think or N U J T or something like that. It's, right. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so shall we um, start from the beginning? So very, uh, right at the start of the film, we have, quite obviously, the song Help yep. to introduce the film Help. Yeah. Um, clever. I, it is clever. Yeah. But also, it's really clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is another point I'd like to make about yeah. this. Because I, um, I I think, you, you know, you have this set up in the film where the, the, the cult have discovered that the ring is missing and the question is where is the ring and it immediately cuts to the ring on Ringo's hand as he drums to the song Help. But what I really love about this whole sequence is that it then plays out during the opening credits on a projector screen in black and white and then you have these darts being thrown at the screen which are in colour. Yeah. And I, I hadn't really thought about it until I, I watched the film specifically for this podcast, but I just couldn't help but think, like, how amazing would that look if you were seeing that in the cinema? Like, the, the projector screen, the close-up of the projector screen then doubles as the cinema screen. You're, you're seeing the Beatles in black and white, yeah. as you will have done throughout most of their career, if not all of their career, at, to that point. Yeah. And then you just have these really vibrant shots of colour and these darts, like, you know, piercing the um the 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 image yeah um, to really sort of usher in this idea that these are this is the Beatles in color for the first time yeah and like and what a great way to do it I mean you've got the um so the scene the sort of cold open before that if you like um is 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 the scene um the scene it doesn't involve the Beatles and then when they're shown as you say initially in black and white you know it it occurred to me while watching it for the you know 20th time or however many times I've seen this for the first time it occurred to me uh, this would have been the first time millions of people had ever seen the Beatles in colour at all because all they'd seen of them you know there was a hard day's night there was news footage there was um, pictures in uh, newspapers maybe even magazines mainly black and white lots and lots of people never seen them in colour before and what a great way to introduce it by starting off with them in black and white and then as you say, like having these flashes of colour going through that scene, just sort of bringing them, bringing them to life in full, uh, in full glorious technicolour. You know? Yes, exactly, and, and and I guess made more vivid because each dart then corresponds to a credit that appears on screen, doesn't yeah. it? So uh, in in the same colour as that dart that's been thrown, I think, apart from on one occasion. Mm. But yeah, just like I, I think already straight off the bat, you've got this sort of quite inventive technique or you know it's sort of quite a creative idea that's sort of um that's setting out its stall i guess in terms of like you know what what we might come to see next which i think is you know it works really well yeah and i think also like it's not just a sort of straight band performance either i mean so this is where it kind of starts to align with the the music video as we come to know it because it is playing around with focus so it will sort of maybe focus on a character in the foreground and have the blur in the background or, or then kind of vice versa. So there's a bit where in the the sort of break in Help where it's, uh, it doesn't have a middle eight, does it? But then there's a bit after maybe the second chorus when it's John repeats when I was younger, so much younger than today, mm-hmm. but, the, but it's just single chord cool. strums before they go on. And so when that's happening, what you're seeing is in the background, John singing it but he's out of focus and in the foreground you see George playing those chords mm. and it really focuses on his um fretting fingers yes yeah, yeah yeah and that you know and that just makes you think oh they're doing something a bit different here like and maybe 
pop stars haven't been accorded this level of sort of artistic, I don't know, reverence is the word, but, you know, maybe nobody's really bothered to shoot pop stars like this before. And do you think that's because, you know, uh, because I I was really, I'm always quite pleased to see a lot of time spent on actually showing the uh, musicality of the song Mm. and the instrumentation. So uh, you're right, there's loads of, and throughout this film, in the songs, there's loads of focus on the actual fretboard, um, fretting fingers, Mm. to the extent you can probably learn how to play all of these songs just from watching this film. (laughs) Yeah. but do you think that's because there was a point to be made here about the you know we we hear often in the Beatles story about how they were a band that decided to write their own songs and um that was that was unusual at the time they decided to do that and now yeah. we're in sort of like peak Beatlemania period there's a point to be made about emphasizing and capitalizing on on that you know the, these are guys that can play their own instruments and these are songs they have written and, and to prove it here they are playing them yeah yeah maybe you know i'm sure i'm sure it wasn't i don't, I don't know how conscious any of these things are i was i was watching um the other night one of the my life as a rolling stone documentaries that's on the bbc iplayer i don't know if you've seen any mm-hmm. of those um but the jagger one uh which the first episode so he was saying quite early on that andrew lou golden basically said like, well, the Beatles are writing their own songs. You guys need to start writing your own songs. We can't just be doing these sort of old blues covers forever. Mm. So just go off and write some songs, you know. Right. And so Jagger and Richards just just kind of did, <laughs> you know. And um, and I, I'm sure it took them a little while, but um, but I think by 1965 that idea was more widespread. That, right. That there yeah. are there are bands or uh, artists who write their own songs. But you're right. It was kind of um, when the Beatles came along, there was certainly uh, Buddy Holly, um, mm. and uh, and of course the Beach Boys who started around the same time, uh, just you know the other side of the world, um, who were you know and Brian Wilson was already writing songs by then. The yeah, days, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Since when he was sixteen. Yeah, so I think it was it, it was kind of kind of more widespread as an idea, but I, d- I don't think this had the the point you make about this kind of emphasizing that in film i'm not sure had particularly been made um for the first you know it particularly been made before yeah yeah for that purpose shall we move on to the next song yeah. uh, so you're going to lose that girl which is yeah. them recording in a studio the the sort of the context for how this appears in the film is that there are there have been a series of att- series of attempts to take the ring from ringo mm-hmm. And this is just the Beatles carrying on their normal Beatles day yep. uh, by being in a in a studio recording a song. Yeah. And then after the song finishes, there is the the, the latest attempt to take that ring by yeah. sort of soaring underneath uh, Ringo's drum set and having him fall through the floor so they can yeah. trap him. So you, you've got this idea either side of the song about um, you know this an attempt, but it's another attempt being made to take the ring. And what they do, slap bang in the middle of that, it's just had this really massively cool like segment where they just have you know this, these amazing colours and backlighting and like awesome smoke yeah, um, coming yeah. like hues coming through uh, you know each frame, uh, and it just looks really it looks it looks very modern. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, and, and I think um, the 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 restored Blu-ray that we both have looks fantastic yeah really fantastic and it, I, I think there is nowhere else it shows up better 
than in this sequence. I, I think the effort that has gone in, as I was saying, you know, similarly to help, the effort that has gone into actual cinematography and thinking about shots and the way they're lined up. And as you say, there's this sort of blue hue in kind of certain uh, shots that they take. There's Ringo drums the entire thing with a cigarette in his mouth, yeah. which, which as a teenager, I thought incredibly cool. Um, <laughs> And still do a bit now, if I'm honest. Um, and, uh, and and his cigarette smoke kind of captures that light and it really sort of colours the whole thing. And I think also um, this is, uh, as well as it this being a scene, it, 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 it makes narrative sense. The band The Beatles are in the, you know, in this film are recording a song for an album to be released by The Beatles. But also... It, it is taking, I'm not saying certain liberties, but they, so they're playing drum bass two guitars but then as it goes on you also see Ringo playing the congas and, oh, yes, uh, you do. That's right, and, yeah. and Paul at the piano as well yes so it's like that they are what you're seeing is also them this is more than one take you're seeing of the same song yes they're there's playing a overdubs. license to be to be yeah. happy for like exploring all of the, the actual what goes into a recording session yeah or, or, or it is not necessarily literally that we are seeing more than one take of this song it's that we're going into the territory of the music video as opposed to a scene, you know, a narrative scene in a film. Yeah, you know, yeah that we, makes sense. We, yeah. We're being uh, shown different elements of how this might come together. And, the, you know, because I can remember watching it when I was younger and thinking, well, hang on, how's Ringo playing the congas here? Oh, he's really? On, he was on the drums a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, how yeah. has Paul just gone over? I mean, who's playing the bass? Now he's gone to the piano. How is this not live? <laughs> right, yeah. exactly, you know. Uh, but I, I think probably just because I didn't, I couldn't quite think through what was meant by that, mm. you know, that, that this is not just one one take of it, you know. But yeah, license, as you say, is a good way to put it. They are, they are kind of taking license with the thing. And it, it is a, it's a creative choice as opposed to this is a scene in which... So you think back in Hard Day's Night, an equivalent scene is um, when they're in the rehearsal space uh, and they play uh, If I Fell, for example... Same thing. This is the band, the Beatles, playing the characters of the Beatles, recording a song as the band, the Beatles would, but they just—it's just them playing it. That's what you see. And I think, yeah, and I think that's this is the point where you start to realise that these song segments have an interesting way of being presented. Yeah. Um, not not just because of the incredible, you know, way that the the, the scenes have been set. The, the lighting and, and how it's all captured on film but just you know like you said before about how the Beatles themselves are framed and and how you know the camera is moving between them in focus and, and out of focus it feels like there's an approach here that's deliberately creative um, hmm. in order to set itself apart from just a band playing their songs yeah yeah and I have to go back to the um, the remastered point that you made as well this I think is probably the one of the best bits in the whole film that looks you know as good as it does yeah i think i'm you know there, there's a there's quite a brilliant special feature on the blu-ray uh that talks to the team that were behind the remastering and just really interesting hearing them talk about how for example they had to approach something like help at the start of the film and how they had to make create creative decisions around what scuffs and marks are on the film and what scuffs and marks are actually in the film that they should retain. (laughs) That's that's an incredibly difficult job. Right, right. Um, And it it must be hard for, you know, help where you've got 
the look of an actual projector screen which has its own sort of dents and scratches in it and the film being played on that yeah. that they have to retain. But with this, it just feels like all of that is removed. They've got a very clear, sultry look and feel to this whole segment yeah. that they, they, you know, you don't have to worry so much about trying to capture a sort of a, a worn element that should already exist in the film. This is just about making it look awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and they do a fantastic job. It just looks really cool. Yeah, can't yeah. can't sort of geek out about it enough, really. Yeah, I think also the the thing. Uh, we were saying earlier when we were talking about help is the sort of focus on the musicianship like one very specific bit at the start of you're going to lose that girl is where you start off uh, you're looking at a camera that's uh, just behind Ringo and so like as he puts this cigarette in his mouth which he'll then keep there for three minutes or whatever <laughs> it is he is he is just kind of like sitting there like quite casually smoking doing this and then someone goes you know one two three and then they sing the first verse and then the drums come in after the first four bars or whatever that is and the way he goes in with his fill the straight and it's just it looks it it looks incredibly cool it's very well shot and it does highlight that i mean as if you needed telling like this guy is a really good drummer yeah 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 okay so let's get on to you've got to hide your love away which you know, like I said earlier, this is this is something that I feel like it exists outside of the film. Yep. Uh, in a way, for example, that the, the previous two songs don't. They they have their own sort of uh, identity. Yeah. But this feels like the video footage that comes from this film feels like it accompanies the song in a way um, that it feels like it extends or in, enhances the song in some way because it's it feels like it's so attached to this particular performance. Yeah. But. In the context of the film, I am left wondering, why? <laughs> why are you playing this song now? Like this, is, It's the first time that there's no narrative reason for them to be playing the song. So therefore, you would expect the song's subject matter to be relevant to what's happening narratively at that time. It's yeah. not... Yeah. They're, just, they're just playing a I song. Mean, I mean, they are hiding, I suppose. You know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's just, that's not wasn't my main take from the song. <laughs> okay, no, fair enough. Um, it, you're absolutely right. It does. It doesn't fit. Um, I think that. So I mean, we're kind of uh, regular listeners may remember um, our episode on Across the Universe, which is yes. a, a, the Beatles jukebox musical. So that uh, so that is um, in which characters, like any musical, um, will uh, burst into song to express emotion or to demonstrate to the viewer that this is a conversation being had, but you, the viewer, are seeing it in song. Um, it's a stylized element. So Help is not a musical, nor, nor is A Hard Day's Night. It is a film in, in which uh, the characters are a band who perform songs, but they do that with varying uh, degrees of um, narrative justification for them. So this is the one where it does. It, there's no reason for them to sing this song um, it feels very much like the purpose of having it there is because a certain amount of time has gone by and they need a song like, <laughs> yeah, that feels yeah. like that's basically it like, yeah that's... yeah but, but actually it's funny like how the way it's inserted in the film feels very throwaway for a song that is as far as I'm concerned like lyrically and musically one of John Lennon's very best songs yes I mean it it, it really is it, it it's a really special song 
he's rarely written lyrics. I mean, certainly in this period of his career, he was rarely writing lyrics as, as good as this that takes a really cohesive narrative or takes a the narrator of the song is a is a character i suppose and everything the singer sings is consistent with that character yeah you know yeah, it, that's it, yeah. it's really really well put together and yeah the, the way it's thrown into the film is almost i'm not gonna say an afterthought because it's it, it's well shot the, the the there are funny things happening you know with sort of george and paul competing for Arme's affections just through their facial expressions the guy who is like George's gardener yes. in in his uh, George's bedroom has grass uh, on the instead of a carpet, and there's a gardener who he employs, and then the gardener just plays the flute solo at the end. Yes, which is brilliant. Uh, yeah, which, great. Which is great, you know. And um, yeah. so I mean, I mean, it goes without saying it more than earns its place, but it, it, in terms of what it's doing for the story, no, it's not doing. It's and, not and doing I, anything. And I think this, you know. It is indicative of what we will no doubt end up discussing in the next part of this episode in that there's a lot of inconsistency in this film. There's a lot of incoherence in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff that it feels like it has been thrown together. And, and really the only sort of, I guess, central idea that everything hangs off is just the idea of the Beatles. But other than that, it's very much, you know, a, a bit of a free-for-all. Yeah. So it's no, not surprising that, that this song features in the film in this way, but it is probably the first instance of musically of, of a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, yeah but, there, but then again, I mean, none of the other songs... I mean, arguably the title song kind of has a theme of, like, they're in trouble, so they need help. But other than that, it, because it isn't a musical, none of them are singing songs at the time to express the emotions that they are going through as characters in this film. They are singing songs because they are a band and that's their job and they need to record songs. Yes. Other, other than this. Yes. And and, and and yeah, and that's the thing. There are some songs that have a narrative justification for being in the film. Mm. And then there are other songs that are there because it's just them playing a song. Yeah. For all of the hijinks that there are to enjoy in this film Um, I think my favourite Beatle moments are when they're doing something deadpan and there is I will will point out in both of these parts of this uh, episode I will point out all of the deadpan moments that I particularly enjoyed and it's not it's not supposed to be funny at all but there's something I really really enjoy about Ringo's single tambourine hit that he just (laughs) he balls out of nowhere like you've got Len playing and singing along the song but he just out of nowhere just does a single hit Perfect. Obviously, you know it's coming if you know the song. Yeah. Um, but yeah. he's not even. He's not looking. He doesn't look like he's partaking in the song in any way. But he just does it like it's it's sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Something he can't help but do. <laughs> yeah, he's just great. Well, he's sitting there looking quite sort of mournful, isn't he? He is and exactly think, that. Yeah. And I, and I forget who it was who just sort of pointed out that the Ringo's resting face is always like quite mournful. <laughs> like it, he just looks like it, it looks a bit miserable just when his face is doing doing nothing, nothing else. And yeah. so yeah, he's just. Staring straight ahead, uh, it, yeah, and just picking up the tambourine and just hitting it, you know, yeah. on, uh, on every beat. And yeah, you're right, it's lovely. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, talking of hijinks, we then move on to Ticket to Ride. Which is which is the key number, I think, in this film. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It doesn't. It, I feel like it's ended up being the key number in this film. Like yeah. I said earlier, it's not. I don't think it was sort of written that way, but it seems to be that way. I put it to you that there is no better illustration of the Beatles being the Beatles at this time than this montage of them skiing and falling over and just generally having a really good laugh. Yeah. Clearly, just messing about. Um, for a full three minutes, whatever it is, yeah. it's just really, really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, and and Rich, Richard Lester explains on the in an interview on the Blu-ray that he said to them, "Do, do any of you know how to ski?" We should rewind a bit back to that bit in the anthology, which I think is one of the Paul driving a tugboat interview scenes, <laughs> right, okay. where he's talking about the fact that you know it's like. He's like, oh, we'd like to go to the Bahamas. Can you write that in? And then he says, oh, I've never been skiing. Could you write that in? Yeah. Which, you know, if he's to be believed, that's kind of how that came about. And Richard Lester seems to back it up. And then apparently what happens for this scene is Richard Lester says, does any of you know how to ski? And they all say no. And he said, right, don't learn. <laughs> right. I want to film you learning to ski. Yeah. And that's apparently exactly what we see there for sort of... There, uh, there was also the hint, I believe, uh, of him just doing it before anyone got involved and asked the question about insurance. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Which totally makes sense. Can you imagine now trying to uh, trying to make uh, a film with uh, our old friends BTS um, <laughs> uh, and and trying to get them to do, I don't know, parkour or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you know, when none no, of them have done it, it before. Do parkour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like on an incredibly, uh, on incredibly high buildings and, the amount of like insurance you'd have to go through for that, and health and safety, and, and all that kind of stuff, like quite rightly as well. Like, oh, arguably, not the same risk involved in asking BTS to jump off a high building than there is in, <laughs> in getting the Beatles to strap some skis to their feet. But no, yeah, not. there's a danger all the same. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, also, interestingly, um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how much that is to be believed. What Paul said about um, having it written in because they want to go skiing, because there's also this point about. They one of the reasons they decided to shoot in Austria is because um, it was one of the easier ways for them to get away from sort of Beatlemania crowds. Yeah. So it felt like there was a bit of a decision there to to sort of go to Austria. I, I mean, I guess they could have decided that after the skiing suggestion. Yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah. Who knows? But um, but yeah, it's just really really fun. Um, I think um, we're you know both talking before we started recording that I think a highlight of this whole montage is. Them using the telegraph wires as a as a blank stave on which to yeah. to like notate the um, melody of the vocals. Yep, I think it's just a really clever thing to do. Apparently, they apparently Richard Lester 
liked the shot but hated thought that the telegraph wires were ugly um and then the sort of solution came about that they would put the notes on them i just think it's a really nice inventive thing to do in that in that sequence yeah yeah and i'd actually like i say i've seen this film god knows how many times it was the, the first time i noticed that those those were actual um electrical wires that they were doing that on all i'd yeah. ever seen before was just a superimposed stave on the screen you know yeah, yeah. this is the nice thing about rewatching these things you always notice something new particularly in this film as well because yes. i think in this film if things move so fast and the dialogue is so haphazard that you know i've watched i haven't i don't think i've watched this as many times as you have but i've watched particular scenes in this many many times and i feel like i'm still only understanding half of what uh half of all the gags that are there or yeah. all the exchanges that are there yeah um and i think that goes for these kind of sequences as well like one of the reasons why that ticket to ride montage is so watchable is because there's just so much in there yeah that's just fun to watch and you know we, we were, again we were talking before we started recording there but just the way that the the film plays with perspective quite often during these sequences yeah. and, um in in this one in particular uh having the you know the the beatles hold their ski pile up to the camera and twist and turn it and and change expression mm. um you know as as the pole moves just really fun just like you know you 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 know that that's it you know the way that looks on camera you know that's going to produce an interesting thing and i yeah. just feel like that's that was the brief for this montage wasn't it like let's just find interesting things to do and film all of them yeah. and we'll we'll cut it together into a sequence yeah it must have been and i think also like there's bits where so a lot of it is them clowning around and falling over on skis and things like that there's other bits where they are all just sort of out of focus and all just staring at the camera standing there uh, like a sort of album cover photo yeah. shoots, you know, yeah. uh, like not smiling, you know, just looking at the camera like quite seriously, quite earnestly. And that's a shot that's kind of in there, you know, and and, and you think, well, this is, this it's quite considered this, yeah. you know, there's a, I'm not talking about image necessarily, but there's a sort of, they they and Richard Lester are all thinking about um, how the Beatles look and how they're presented to the public in a sense. Um, there's the clowning and there's also the seriousness, you know. If you think about it, it's actually, you know, on a very general level. It's remarkable that these guys, um, it took them a while to be sort of properly lauded critically as great songwriters. Like some people kind of got there earlier than than others did critically, I mean. But isn't it kind of nuts that that they were they were doing that, and there were people who were recognizing them as not necessarily the the key cultural contributors to the twentieth century that we sort of went went on to be, but people were recognizing them as great songwriters while they were in films where they were just mucking about. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not it's not just because there's a difference. But I mean, we've talked about their humor before, and you know, when they sort of got to JFK and did that press conference and everyone found them really funny and it was, oh God, these these guys are a breath of fresh air. But it's also, you think about the album, uh, the album Help has, it's not in the film, but it has Yesterday on it. Yeah. Which, you know, what very few people would claim that that is not one of the most significant musical compositions of the 20th century. Um, and it, And it's on an album... Where, where like its composer is 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 on there um, walking into a, a men's bathroom 
like, like where the, where the hand dryer has gone nuts, and it, and it pulls the sleeve off his jacket, and then he gets hit in the face by a jet of water. It's but it's ridiculous how those two things coexist. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. and how I, I I'm not sure there's I'm not sure there's anyone else any other artists in history who are able to do those two things simultaneously. I mean, it helps that he's not playing yesterday whilst that happens in the film. <laughs> I think I think that would undermine the sentiment of the song somewhat. Right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think, it, I, to me, that sort of just, again, points to what we know about how incredibly fast-paced and, and how packed the Beatles' timeline is. Yeah. You know, like, you, these things do coexist, but they, they only coexist when you're looking at them as happening in the same month and actually, mm. um, you know, like, uh, what happens to the Beatles in a, a month is enough to fill, you know, the most pop bands' lifetimes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I, um, deadpan action number two, for me, my favourite thing in the, the Ticket to Ride sequence is when they're playing uh, and larking about on the piano yeah. in the song and John is lying on top of the piano playing it while singing yeah. but McCartney is, is sat down on the floor in front of it all wraps up nice and warm and every now and again he'll just randomly like pull out a chord Oh, does he? Every, every now and again, like, he, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. even turn around, but he's just like, he's sat facing forward. You can, he's like wrapped up in the warm because he's freezing cold, yeah. is, is the impression you get. But every now and again in time, he'll just like throw his hand behind himself and just throw a chord out <laughs> on the piano and then put it back again. Right, right. Um, very, very funny. So then we move on to uh, the next song segment, or should I say segments, which are I Need You and The Night Before. Yep. So the context for this is having understood now that their lives are in danger. They have requested the help of Scotland Yard to keep them safe and give them some security whilst they go back into the studio and record uh, these songs. What that leads to is this security is quite a neat, I think, visual gag around how they are basically uh, recording, in quotation marks, uh, out in the open yeah, and you have this sort of one wall of a studio between an, an engineer <laughs> and them playing yeah, yeah which yeah. has the window in which, I, which yeah. I love because you know like the window exists so that he can see them like so you've got the one wall <laughs> <laughs> this idea that he wouldn't be able to see them otherwise yeah. whilst recording them which is hilarious yeah and and then obviously they are surrounded by lots of sort of military soldiers tanks etc for yeah. the sort of chaotic action scene that follows uh, these segments i was struck i mean first of all i was struck mostly by just of all the songs that go in the film this is the george one like Mm. seeing him sing for the first time you know i think it's i never i'm never really too sure how much stock to put in this idea that there was a agreement in the band that george should have one of his numbers uh on there you know like how, how much did they agree to have a Lennon McCartney production but also throw George a bone like per yeah. album or something. Yeah. If there is stops to be found in that it feels like then that's that's why this number is one of the, the songs highlighted in the film as well. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose that um I'm not sure whether they were m- making any more money from like A releasing the album, but then also extra money for having the song in the film. Yeah, that's true. I'm not yeah. sure how that works. Hard Day's Night is the only album that is a hundred percent Lennon McCartney songs. Mm. Um, so George didn't have a so he was he sung on that, didn't he? He sung yeah. "I'm Happy Just to Dance with You," um, but he 
uh, hadn't written a song on a film before. So, yeah, I wonder whether that was a thing. But, I mean, also, he was a, a better songwriter by that point. Yes, like, true. Yeah. I, I Need You is certainly not one of his classics, but it's a lovely song. Mm-hmm. It's one of his sort of simpler ones, really. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of... Uh, not a lot of sort of, it, it's all sort of major chords it's all quite bright and and acoustic-y and strummy you know and um and the arrangement's really nice you just have this like you have this interesting sound at this song don't you like the the way it starts off this sort of um ringing tone to the guitar that yeah. uh, plays out the chords that yeah just, i always found quite interesting just that interesting sort of guitar tone that the song has yeah to start and, and hearing that kick in before george starts singing yeah, it's just I don't, you know, there's nothing really to add other than the fact that it's just an interesting thing that the song does. Yeah, yeah, itself, absolutely. You know? Yeah, but I, but I think it, I think it's a really nice song, and and I think I mean, so the way that as you say, the way these are put in narratively is they've had to go to a recording studio, which happens to be outdoors because they need military protection. So so there's a reason for these songs to be there. This and uh, the night before, they are sort of interrupted more than the other songs are. So if you think about You've got to hide your love away. It's just played all the way through. Mm. That applies to the others in general as well. Yeah, this is sort of interrupted by other scenes um, yes. where the people, try, the cults, trying to catch them are sort of putting their preparations in place for their latest sort of dastardly plan to blow them up. So you're cutting away from the songs, and I forget whether it's both songs being cut away from. Yeah, or... I think it's both songs being cut away from because uh, you got you have Arme trying to deceive Clang mm-hmm. and suggest that they've buried a tunnel directly underneath to where the Beatles are playing yeah. so that they can plant explosives. Yeah. So you have like this sort of uh, exchange of dialogue whilst the songs are playing. Yeah. But I actually found it really interesting that in order to try to convince Clang that they are where they should be and lying to him in the process, yeah. she plays him a tape recorder playing a different song she's a woman is it she's a woman yeah. right okay fine yeah, yeah of course so what you end up having is uh, that 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 part of it plays during the night before so you you have the actual song segment of a night before yeah and then it would cut between that to this scene underground where she's a woman is playing and it's like it's one thing to cut to dialogue but to cut to a different song playing <laughs> in the middle of a song that's playing yeah is, is actually quite jarring yeah, and yeah. and I get the you know I get the idea that they're trying to sell Richard Lester uh, is trying to sell the idea that it's a lie. Yeah, but actually, I do feel like that takes away from the actual performance of the song in the film. Yes, somewhat. yeah, it does a bit, and and I think yeah, because you're right. I suppose if like while they're playing the night before, if she then puts a tape recorder of the night before in into that little uh, into that little thing in the tunnel, uh, then perhaps we as an audience don't quite get what she's doing. Yes. The fact that it's a different song makes it very clear to us. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because it, it could be that she's playing the, the live uh, performance as we are hearing it. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I, I, I can't think of many films that would have that same thing of mm. showcasing a song, but actually frequently cutting away to a scene where you've got like a different song playing. <laughs> yeah. Instead. yeah. It feels like it undermines the thing a little bit. So then we get to the the last performed song segment of the film which is another girl yeah in the bahamas for reasons <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah. is, is they, I, I guess they go 
in disguise and go on the run, right? So they, they, yeah. that's the idea uh, from from the, the cult. But, you know, behind the scenes, we know that this is one of those things where the, the group are just like, can we shoot in the Bahamas? And uh, Brian Epstein apparently phoned up uh, Richard Lester and, and said, make it happen. Um, yeah. Because the Beatles have, have asked for it, so he did. Despite the fact that when they got there, Apparently it wasn't actually that warm. Um, it was yeah. quite chilly. Yeah. I think it's yeah. quite evident as well when you see them playing that where they are, they don't look like they're in no, right. sort of the sunniest of climbs. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but they they, they they performed the song Another Girl. Um, again, some interesting directorial cho- choices made there in terms of how the band are framed and how the group are set out. They've got pretty ladies with them yes. for much of the performance of the song. Yep. Um, and there are some sort of sequences during the song uh, that occur that are interesting, but none more interesting. Um, McCartney's accidental strumming of a lady. Um, <laughs> but it seems quite deliberate. Well, it's, it's almost quite. It's very, very conscious non-strumming of a lady. Yes, isn't it? You know. Yes. So we, um, should, we should probably explain what we mean. Well, we should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you go ahead. <laughs> so there, there is a sequence. So the, the performance of another girl. Uh, there's a lot. They're sort of swapping instruments quite a lot, which again, you know, is is mm. kind of saying this is another one where they are kind of performing the song to camera. It's a music video, uh, but they're not. The, the characters aren't kind of recording the song or anything like that, as far as we know. But um, in all this instrument swapping, at one point, um, one of these uh, women who in swimming costumes who are hanging around, Paul is kind of playing her as if she is a bass or mm. no, as if she is a guitar. So he is sort of. Uh, fretting. She has her. I, I think <laughs> steady. I think, on. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's fretting let's, her arm. Let's right. let's try to cover this off together. Okay, so that we cover all bases. Yeah. Um, she is standing there with her arm extended. Yeah. to double up as the neck of a guitar. Yes. So he is fretting her arm. Yes. Whilst strumming. Yeah. Uh, to the other side of her torso. Yes. However, there is very clearly an instance where. His strumming goes too close to her torso. Oh, I see. I thought because I I didn't notice that. I thought uh, uh, what we were talking about is him because you can see there is a, a very very studious expression on his face where he's really trying hard not to do that. Yes, but it, but it actually happens, does it? But it, oh oh wow, you you've missed the delights if you haven't noticed this because <laughs> right. not only does it happen, but yeah. the expression on his face when it does, like the <laughs> the sheer look of embarrassment and horror, right? Like the immediate, and it literally lasts like half a second. But right. it's it's so funny because he <laughs> like he just he, he just catches himself. Very very funny. Right. I would urge you to go back and watch that as soon as you can because it's yeah it's it's the the best look I've ever seen uh, Macca give. <laughs> Uh, and and that's the, the the biggest talking point of another girl for me um, is Macca's expression in that because <laughs> it makes the film. I, I, I think there's uh, there's there are some lovely things in uh, that another girl you know video if you want to call it that because it essentially is one where the way they're being framed. So again, it's one of those things where Richard Lester is kind of playing with focus quite a lot, and so there are scenes where again they're looking completely straight faced straight in uh, down the barrel of the camera but they're all kind of standing in a line and it might kind of focus in on one of their faces and then focus out and it's one of the girls faces um various bits in it as well where they're all kind of standing on different bits of what looks like a sort of ruin or something like that um and again it's just one of those things you don't bother to do if if you're because this is the thing about this i mean richard lester could be completely excused 
for just shooting these songs as straight up performances. Yeah, but he's obviously got yeah. more ambition about. And that's what all people like, are there yeah. to see, right? Yeah, as well. Like, yeah, there, yeah. There, there are no other expectations. Than right, that. exactly. You know, because if you think about, you know, the 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 like the Elvis films that they would have gone to see themselves, like John talks about it at one point. You know, we used to go and see Elvis in these movies, and everyone would scream, and we'd think that's a good job. The movies they would have seen, sort of Blue Hawaii or whatever, where you know he's just he's some guy, and then he just sings a song to a girl at some point. Yes, yeah, yeah. And nobody's really thinking about it beyond that. They are, are they even musicals? I'm not sure how to categorize them really. But yeah, the everyone here could have been forgiven for just bothering a lot less with these sequences. Yeah, yeah. And and I I think it's I think it's fantastic that you know this amount of effort went in and and these sequences are such a success for that exactly that and but i think i think it points to a clear decision to approach them in this way right so early on i think richard lesser would have said you know these need to be sort of marked out in some way these can't just be performers they need to be like a creative endeavor of some kind for each song which i think yeah absolutely is testament to, to to him and to the output so those are all the song segments in the film shortly after another girl we have uh the resolution of the movie Ringo after all of his sort of trials and tribulations throughout the whole film finds that the ring just falls off his finger um yeah it's uh, handy that wasn't it is it very handy yeah <laughs> and then there persists a sort of chaotic sequence to end the movie on as as films of this age tend to do and this sort of genre tend to do where there's just lots of people on the beach sort of fighting each other and um lots of sort of you know craziness ensues to a repeat soundtrack of help yep which neatly puts everything into a nice loop but arguably makes less sense because there's no need for any help at that point because they've already resolved the actual central plot line of their lives no longer being in danger but it it, it is kicked off by clang now needing help and saying that's and saying true. help which is then uh mouthed over the you know, the, yeah, the yeah, that's true. It, yeah. That that is. Um... I mean, there's a lot, still a lot to unpick there, isn't there? In terms of like, does 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 Clang have the authority to kick off a Beatles song? Like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder. I wonder if anyone else has in cinema history. We should mention, obviously, throughout the film, there are there are interesting things to talk about in the score, yeah, as well, yeah. So I think most pointedly to me, the things that that I picked up on whilst watching the film, from a score point of view, there's a point during an early car chase where uh, a very deliberate use of the James Bond theme is used. Yeah. First of all, I mean we talk about, we'll get onto this in the in the next part, but we, you know this, this film is talked about as a satire on Bond films, and I'm not sure I completely buy that, but the fact that uh, it uses a a Bond theme or a, Bond theme like piece of music yeah. is probably what really closely ties this film to that franchise. Yeah. But more interestingly is the use of other Beatles songs in the score. Yeah. Yeah. Most notably Hard Day's Night, which right. quite a lot throughout this. Yeah, exactly, which is kind of it, one of the main it's sort of dramatic sequence, uh that sort of motif that keeps on coming back. It was interesting you used the, the title song from your last film yeah. as the sort of probably the main bit of the score. I think it's used Three times in various forms in the movie, there is towards the end of the film. It's used twice. One as sort of a sort of an action 
has a sort of an action quality to it. Yeah. There's like an epic style version uh, that that plays right towards the end. But actually probably the most notable version is when they're in the Indian restaurants and the cults take over the band on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. and take over their instruments and they start playing a song then and it happens to be a a version of Hard Day's Night that features heavily a sitar. Yeah. Which yeah. is very notable because that is where George got his love of the sitar from. Yeah. And also notable because if you're ever in a Beatles quiz or a pub quiz and someone asks you what is the first time a sitar was used on a pop record and someone answers that with Norwegian wood they are mm. incorrect because <laughs> this sitar version of Hard Day's Night actually was uh, released on the American version of the Help soundtrack so um, that's the first time the sitar would have been used in a sort of pop setting yeah. and it unarguably helped prime fans to that sound before it was then used in Norwegian Wood. Yes, you're right. I like the way you framed that as just a way to win an argument with an imaginary person. <laughs> yeah, <I see laughs> as if, as if, actually, not so. Yes, exactly. Imaginary well, friends. I have, like, I, have few, I have too few instances in my life where someone picks an argument with me that I can win. So uh, sometimes <laughs> I find it better if I just assume the scenario first. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way to spend your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you're right, and and I think cause it, there's nice the way that some bits are dropped in. Uh, She's a woman is one that's dropped in. There's a little motive, doom, 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 like that every now and again. Um, you can't do that is in yes. there as well. Uh, the sort of I got something to say that might cause you pain bit, and there's a, a bit of I'm happy just to dance with you as well. I can't quite call that to mind, but I remember writing that down. Um, it's nice because none of these are other than. Like Hard Day's Night is, you know, is a sort of is a Red Album song, if you like, mm. you know, one that everyone knows. The other ones are less obvious B sides, album tracks, that kind of thing. And it's nice that they find this kind of second life, as you know, that they're not trying to get the big hits and shoehorn them into the score. You know, yeah. they're generally just using ones that work. And it's a yeah, really good true. score. It is I mean, a great, great yeah, score. Yeah, 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 George Martin has a lot to um, to blame. That. Although there is this um, notion that George Martin has brought into to to write some of the arrangements for some of the songs, but actually he wasn't picked as the overall composer for the film. Mm. Or he referred to that later on as him being included out of the film, <laughs> um, which is uh, quite neat. But there is also, you know, just to add to your list of beautiful songs there, From Me To You, which is uh, has a, a brilliant version of that that's also available on that second half of the American version of the Help soundtrack. Yeah. It's really interesting to that song. Um, and I think... We've covered all of the musical elements of the film, apart from the last one, which is the the band themselves singing and humming along to the Barber of Seville <laughs> as the end credits play, Yeah, which is most notable for when they stop doing that. <laughs> because <laughs> um, my favourite bit in all of that is they're, they're committed to, to, to humming and singing the melody of this. I think when the phrasing comes around again for a second time, they whistle it. But mm. it's very much clearly improvised yeah. at the time um, and then there's one particular instance when you realise that as they're doing this they're watching the credits come up on screen because you hear George Harrison call out <laughs> I Need You by George Harrison which is yeah. from what I understand about George yeah. quite typical of George yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely it's um, it, it, it's Goon Show isn't it I mean that is, that is total classic goon show that they listened to on the radio when they were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. here's a thing and let's muck about next to it and see what happens. It's just, know? it's like one, like, final act of 
irreverence in the film. Mm. It's just like, if there is a rule to be had about a movie, like, let's find a way to break it. And like, it's just, that that to me is, is that. Like, the, you know, no credit sequence up until that point and probably since has been performed in that quite the same way. Yeah. Because it's just like, let's just absolutely mess about right up until the very last minute. Yeah. And why not? Yeah, and and actually the the approach of essentially sort of defacing a classic yes. reminds me of I can't remember which Monty Python album it was, but the album cover is an existing classical, like a Beethoven or something like that, mm. but it is scribbled out with Monty Python written, right. written on the top. Right. Yeah. 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 The yes. Same, of course. It, it, yes. I don't know what you mean. Yes. It's the same approach, isn't it? I suppose. Yes. It's, yeah. You know, taking something. It, it, it's in in quite a gentle and cheeky way. Um, <laughs> irreverent is the right word. It, it's just taking something that is quite old and stuffy, and just putting your mark on it, uh, mm. destroying it, and it, but you know to to your own audience, improving it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and also, it's not without precedent as well. This is happening at the end of a film that has also contained a fairly lengthy Ode to Joy sequence yeah. uh, that we haven't mentioned. Yeah. The eighteen twelfth Overture plays during the sort of chaotic military action sequence. Yeah. There are sort of snippets of sort of classical music woven throughout it. And, uh, you know, like you say, it's, I guess it helps provide that juxtaposition between sort of that sort of old school older generation music to be enjoyed versus sort of the new big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a uh, gear fab, gear fab. Yeah. Um, is there anything else to add on the music elements of the film help? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, so that is, that's a wrap then for part one of our discussion of help. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed us discussing the music part of the music film help. And before we go on to part two, which will discuss the film parts of the music film, help. Um, it's, very, it's very neat. <laughs> um, there's there's logic here. Hopefully you enjoyed that. If you did, please let us know. Uh, you can find us on uh, the usual social media platforms at Beatles Films Pod. And otherwise, we will see you next week for part two of our discussion of help. See you then. Bye bye. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.